Hey, good morning. <laughs> good morning. Okay. Good morning. <laughs> oh, man. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Hey, normally, normally uh, you guys know the, the drill. We, uh, we work our way through the scripture. Uh, we're in a study in uh, Exodus right now. We just finished chapter 18 last week. Uh, which you probably came in this morning expecting Exodus 19. And reasonably so, Chandler, because that's just the way we do it here, right? Next verse, right? But from time to time, as we're in the middle of one of these studies, uh, we will take a, a quick, uh, uh, you know, uh, detour, and then we'll get right back on path. And so this morning we're going to look at uh, some scripture uh, found in the, in the book of Matthew, chapter 14, verse 22 through 33. Um, I'm not sure if Carrie uh, had been in my sermon notes or not this morning, but it, it feels as though maybe she has. Uh, I can't speak to that with a great deal of certainty, but I kind of feel like maybe she had been uh, uh, in those notes. But I, I want to share a little bit with you this morning because I know that some of you, much like uh, many of us, are going through some some storms in your life, right? And then what we've experienced this week kind of drove home uh, something that God had kind of set in my heart uh, just to share when we got back and whatnot. And so I want to be faithful in doing that. And so if you would turn with me to Matthew, uh, the great multitude and whatnot, uh, uh, this, this scripture actually follows. And if you look over uh, also, in Mark chapter 6, uh, this story is told as well with a little bit of a difference. It's just a perspective thing. Uh, as Mark tells his story, Matthew tells his story uh, having gathered uh, from multiple sources, one being Peter. That's the reason uh, you'll find a, a portion of this story uh, that uh, uh, points in the direction of Peter, uh, which Mark doesn't elaborate on, and you can understand why. Uh, if Matthew is gathering this information and, and he gathers some from Peter, this is something Peter would not have forgotten and would have included in Matthew's inquiry about this event. That's how it is with you and I most of the time. We tell things, uh, we recount things from our perspective, Reuben. You know, we remember how things looked from where we were standing when we saw it. And other people who stand on another corner see it from their perspective and they retell the story. But in Matthew chapter 14, we're going to be looking at that. We will reference Mark just briefly uh, to include something that I think is worth including. Uh, so in Matthew chapter 14, verse 22 through 33, we're going to read this. It says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It is a ghost. Reasonable response, I suppose. They said and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid, Ronnie. Don't be afraid. 
Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Mark says, this part ain't important enough for me to share it. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. Father, in Jesus' name, we have gathered here at 100 Hobson Way here in Elizabethtown, Kentucky, not to hear me speak about you, but to hear what your word says and declares about you. Lord, I want I want to be ministered to through your word in as much as I want to minister to them through your word. I want your spirit, Lord, to make this come alive to me and make it come alive to them. And may it sit so deep in their hearts and their spirits that when they leave here, whatever crises they find themselves in, whatever uh, uh, obstacles or whatever opposition is present in their life, Father, I pray in this scripture that something would be said, addressed, extracted, provided that it would equip them to deal with the situation they find themselves in this morning. And so, Father, we bless you. We need you this morning to speak to us. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. As Carrie had told you guys, we were, excuse me, we were in Orlando. And uh, we were in, uh, it, was, it was around Wednesday. We were two days completely exhausted. All of those over the age of 45 were completely exhausted after two days. And uh, uh, we welcomed the rain, but we were not anticipating or welcoming a hurricane, right? And uh, one of the things that I, I guess is, is normal down there that isn't normal down here or up here is the fact when we have bad storms, we're very fortunate when we get an hour's notice. You know, sometimes we'll get a little longer than that, and, and sometimes it's a 15, 20-minute notice when things transition from a tornado watch to a tornado warning. It can happen instantaneous, uh, and you feel, you feel somewhat uh, fortunate when you get that 30 minutes to, to seek shelter. And, uh, but down there, uh, it was Tuesday. We, were, uh, we had just come in. It was the latter part of the night, and, and probably somewhere through the night, we got, or I got, I'm sure everyone else got on their phone, a hurricane warning. And I, I read through the, the hurricane warning. And it says in the hurricane warning, we provide a hurricane warning 36 hours in advance. I thought, well, that's pretty good. 36 hours in advance. You, you can make some preparations for a storm. You can, if you're fast enough, you can get out of town in 36 hours if you don't find yourself caught behind heavy traffic as everyone else is getting out of town. But 36 hours is a pretty good head start on, on a, 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 a pending threat. But what you know, and I know, in life, you don't get 36-hour warnings. You know this, right? Warnings don't arrive like that, or storms don't arrive like that in our lives. We don't get a notice from God saying, hey, Jennifer, buckle down. In the next 36 hours, life's about to get tough. And all of a sudden, you sure up your belt, you know what I'm talking about? You pull out your devotional that you hadn't opened in three weeks, and you start trying to catch up. 
right? It doesn't happen, Reuben. It doesn't happen. We don't get those types of notices. Storms just tend to arrive without warning. Sometimes they arrive after a doctor's visit. Sometimes they arrive a call from your, your children's teacher. Sometimes they arrive a call from your family late hours of the night and all of a sudden what you knew to be normal man is in a stinking vortex of uncertainty and all of a sudden you're in a storm. Have you got anyone here ever experienced a storm like that? Just blindsided. And so what I want to share with you today and I do hope briefly, I do hope briefly and relative as that may be, I want to share a few things out of this scripture that would encourage you as a follower in Jesus when the storms arise in your lives and you find yourself caught in the midst of something that you can't see yourself out of. Okay? So we're going to unpack this scripture and we're going to look at it and we're going to start right there at verse 22 and we're going to read the first part of verse 23. It says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. This is the first thing I want you guys to understand. I, you, this is an absolute essential thing in dealing with storms in your life. Okay? As followers of Jesus, when we understand that God has placed us in a particular place and we have been assigned a particular place and a storm arrives while in that particular place, we must concede a level of confidence in the fact that Jesus or God, the Father, was the one who placed us in that place, and he is sovereign, and he's all-knowing of all things. And he decided to put us in a boat that would eventually find itself in the midst of a storm. There should be confidence in that, Reuben. When you find yourself in clear water and things aren't just falling your way left and right and you know there's opposition, but God has said this is where you are to plant your feet, wherever it may be in that uh, vicinity, then you should have confidence that though resistance is present, God has said this, right? You and I should know as we're following God, if he places us here, Kellen, and opposition arises, there should be confidence in knowing that God knew opposition was going to arise and planted us there all the same. He made them get in the boat. Now, I don't know what that looks like. I, I, you, can, you can see Peter. You, you can see some of these cats. I, I don't want to get in the boat. Right? You know, we like to see Jesus. You know, he's handing out, you know, Jesus, sweet Jesus. Oh, Peter, let me help you in the boat. I don't know that it worked out like that. I mean, he may have been like me dealing with Clark at Magic Kingdom. Get up here. Get in the boat. We're riding this ride. I don't care if it's for kids. We're riding this. You know, it could, I don't know, but he makes them get in this boat. And that's what the scripture says. It says immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side when he dismissed the crowd. Things to remember is if he puts you in the boat, he knows where you're at. <laughs> he's, not like, he's not like being Carl. 
You know, I, I'm that guy. I'm that guy that misplaces. And I've, I've admitted this. I've been looking for my glasses while I'm wearing my glasses, Jeremiah. That's happened. I'm not kidding you. I've walked around. I said, "Where's my glasses at?" I, I'll say it. I, I, I had my phone in my hand. I said, "What did I do with my phone?" Yesterday we were on our way to the airport, and I set my phone up there, up on the dash. I, God is my. I set my phone up on the dash, and I literally within seconds said, "Where's my phone at?" And it was right. I just, it was in the same place I just placed it. God isn't like that. When He puts you somewhere, God knows where you're at. God knows where you're at. He's not misplaced you. Then the scripture says this. It says, after he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Now this is a peculiar, a peculiar portion of scripture. Because we can speculate. But we really don't know. What we do know is that Jesus is an intercessor. We do know that. Romans says that, right? It says, Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So he goes up on the mountainside and he's by himself and he's praying. I don't know what he's praying for exactly. The scripture doesn't reveal that in that given moment. But I have to believe, understanding whom God had placed in his hands, these disciples understanding what they were about to face, knowing where he had placed them, understanding all that. I do believe, now this is Trent theology, I do believe that in that moment, not only was he praying for whatever else his heart had at that moment, I believe he was praying for the 12 that he had just deposited into the boat. I believe that. I believe he knew the storm was coming. And I think there should be a level of comfort that you and I can get if we believe and understand that Jesus is our intercessor. That Jesus is interceding for us. That Jesus is caring about the things that we're going to experience. Sometimes we think that he doesn't, right? Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there and so dislodged in your faith, man, that you're not even sure? I've heard people say, I don't even know if God loves me. I don't even know if God knows what's going on. I don't know if God cares. Let me say to you this morning, he does know. Let me say to you this morning, he does love you. Let me say to you this morning, he does care. I love in Luke chapter 22, verse 32, Jesus reveals to Peter that he had been praying for Peter. I really like this portion of the scripture because it's kind of an intimate setting. It's just Peter and Jesus. Now, I do believe had Jesus been having an intimate setting with other disciples in that moment, in a conversation such as this, that it would have been revealed to them as well that Jesus had prayed for them. But this is a conversation that he's having with Peter. And so he reveals to Peter, listen, if you've got a prayer partner who's interceding for you, have confidence in that. But when you know Jesus is interceding for you, man, that should just well up in you a sense of confidence unmatched by anything else. And in this moment, Peter knows that Jesus is his prayer partner. And Jesus says to Peter these very words, but I have prayed for you, Simon, Cephas, 
That your faith may not fail. That your faith may not fail. What is he implying? He's implying that his faith would be challenged. His faith would be opposed. His faith would be tested. And he says to Peter, I have prayed for you. I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. Then the scripture says this. Later that night he was there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Now there's a small portion of this that really speaks to me because I feel like this sometimes and I just have to be transparent so you can relate to me, right? Because I'm no better than you. I'm no, I'm no, your struggles are my struggles. And I'm not going to paint a picture up here of some unreachable place that no one can, can uh, ascertain or, or grasp. We're in this together. We're, we're, we're so much more alike than we are different. My struggles are yours. Yours are mine. And this is one of mine. And when the scripture says this, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land. Well, who's on the land, man? Jesus. And who's in the boat? The disciples. And the scripture says at this moment, because it was buffeted by the waves, because the wind was against it, it was already a considerable distance removed from the land, hence removed from Jesus. Remember where we've left him. And sometimes, man, when the wind kicks up, and the storm kind of rages, and that sudden assault of that experience in your life, the one thing that it has a tendency to generate within you and within me is this sense of separation and distance. And the stronger the wind blows, the greater the sense of separation we find ourselves from God. And sometimes we're reaching out there. Because he seems, Monica, in the midst of our heartache and our, our brokenness and our tragedy and our loss, sometimes it just seems like there's such a great distance created in those moments of crises. And some of you may be in this experience right now and you're saying to yourself, I feel such a considerable distance removed from him. Mom, Dad, I feel like there's such a considerable distance between him and I. And it's because the wind of this storm is raging, is raging. But the reality is this. And if you're in the storm, you need to know this. Regardless of the considerable amount of distance you sense separating you and Jesus, the reality, Michael, is that you're never out of his reach. You're never out of his reach. Mark says it like this. He says, later that night the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on the land. 
And you know that great distance that you perceived reading out of Matthew that had separated you from Jesus? This is how Mark tells this, gives his account. He says, and Jesus was alone on the land, and he saw the disciples straining at the oars. It doesn't say that they saw him, but it does say that Jesus sees them straining at the oars because the wind was against them. So when you're in that place and you feel like there's such a great distance between you and Jesus and you can't see him, understand, he sees you. And not only does he see you, he sees the opposition in which you're struggling against. You mean Jesus sees that issue at work? You mean Jesus sees that issue at school? Well, I can't see him, he sees that. You mean Jesus sees that issue in my marriage? Jesus sees that issue with my children? The place where I feel the most hopeless? The place where I feel like I failed the greatest? And I feel like I'm being overwhelmed in that? You mean to tell me Jesus sees that? Yes, Jesus sees that, Jose. He sees the fight. He sees the struggle. He sees the strain, man. The strain. And some of you guys in the midst of these storms, man, it's all about spiritual strain. You're under the load. You're bearing more than you feel like you can hold up under, and the strain is obvious. And Jesus sees that. He sees the sleepless nights. He sees when your spiritual heart is having palpitations, skipping beats, overwhelmed and fearful. He sees those things. And that opposition that seems to overwhelm you, that seems just beyond overcoming, it may be greater than you. It may very well be greater than you. But no opposition in your life that you'll ever find is greater than him. No opposition, my sister, is greater than him. No struggle. It's greater than him, Jay. And the scripture continues on. It says, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When it says shortly between dawn, some translations will render this to be the fourth watch of the night. Somewhere between 3 and 6 o'clock in the morning. That's, that's the time that Jesus is walking out here on the lake. Now, I don't know about you. But darkness adds to difficulty, to struggle, to, to crisis, uh, a whole different uh, level of, of, of uncertainty. Man, you can understand, right, when the disciples see, it, see him and they say, it is a ghost, right? 
Right? I mean, you can understand that. But he's coming out there in the dark hours of the night. And I remember we were, we were kind of hunkering down for this hurricane. And I remember Dennis. Now, Dennis said this. I felt this. I knew this. I was down with him. He said, man, I, I'm good as long as I can see what's going on out there. Daylight. But man, when it gets dark, it's a different ball game. And darkness brings with it that whole different dynamic, a, a whole different variable. And I felt the exact same way. And here they are, early morning dark, and they see him walking towards them on the water. On the water. Scripture says walking on the lake. Now, the wind's blowing. One of the things that I come to realize during this hurricane experience was the water issue is really a wind issue. And when that wind starts pushing, man, I mean, literally, it drives the ocean onto the land to the extent that we saw video down there where the ocean was dry. It had literally, the wind had sucked the ocean dry, had moved the ocean practically, where there were people out there walking around in the mud where the ocean once was, boats resting in the mud because the water had been sucked out by the wind. And here was Jesus walking out to them on the very thing that was generating the fear in their hearts. Now, when you and I understand this is who Jesus is, it changes our perspective on how we view the thing that is assaulting or vexing our confidence and our faith. When Jesus says, I identify the source of your fear, watch me, who is supreme over everything, walk on, navigate through the very thing that vexes you. That's a powerful reality. When we see him walking on the very thing, the thing that vexes us rests beneath his feet. Is walking treading ground for him. So when you're overwhelmed during that storm, you're Jesus isn't overwhelmed like you're overwhelmed. Jesus isn't fearful like you're fearful. He's literally coming to them via the source of the threat or perceived threat. And it says right here, they said, it is a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Now, whether you feel this is a reasonable response or not, it's a very human response, right? When you see God doing something you've never seen God do, when, when God's got you in a place that he's never had you in before, doing things in you that he's never done before, that's kind of a scary place to be, isn't it? Those of us who have a, a, you know, a lot of worn tread in our, on our faith tires and we've been a lot of places, we've experienced a lot of things, it's no big deal to travel over the things we've done before, Reuben. 
I've been down that road. I've seen how God does this. I know how this is going to work out. I've, I've been here. But the moment God has you doing something that you have never done, God showing himself in a way that he's never shown before, you too have a tendency, much like myself, to be somewhat fearful of that. The whole unknown. What? He's walking on water? It's a ghost, man. Reasonable. Whether you think it or not, it would be a reasonable response. Very human, Nolan. Very human. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Tharseo is the, the Greek word here for take courage. And, it, and its meaning is a bold inner attitude. It's an inner confidence, an inner courage. It's not, Jesus isn't saying to them, look confident, look encouraged, dress it up, look. He was saying to them, let this sit deep in you. Take courage, put it in you. When Carrie looks at me and she says, the storm is blowing. And I say, it'll be okay. Don't worry about it. God's got this. That's not born out of something resting on me. That's born, Reuben, out of something resting in me. I was trusting God. It does... It, it, it doesn't elevate me. It doesn't do. I, 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 I felt in my spirit, much like many people in the house felt in their spirit, that this was going to be okay. This. But Jesus is saying to them, take courage. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And then Peter. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come. He said, now listen, listen, whatever Peter's issues are, you have to kind of tip your hat, right? You got to tip your hat to the cat who's about to climb out of the boat. I mean, the others aren't climbing out of the boat. The others aren't inquiring. The others aren't asking. So, hey, Peter may fail in this, but man, he's going to fail towards Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? And listen, every venture of faith doesn't always end up in this supreme, you know, uh, uh, adoration and, 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 and applause of, of the church and the people in your life. Sometimes ventures of faith don't always end up in, in uh, looking so victorious. But you're never going to know until you're willing to step out there in it. You don't know what's waiting for you down there. Reuben, you, you guys, Frankie, you guys don't know, but you would never know if you didn't. You'd never know. Today we're going to pray for them as they set out for Florida in the coming weeks. We're going to pray for them as God has placed in their heart a call for a ministry in Florida. This morning, as we pray for them, you know what, the, you know what this couple's doing? <laughs> they, they step it out of a boat. This morning, they're stepping out. They don't even know what they're stepping into. <laughs> they may think they know, but they really don't know. They're trusting. They're trusting God. But they would never know if they wasn't stepping. And so Peter, he, he asked, hey, 
If it's, let, me, let me get out of the boat. Then Peter got down out of the boat. Now, I don't, you know, imagine this, right? He's finding his footing. Now, listen, when I went to Honduras, um, the very first time we were in uh, Cachillas. Remember that, Danny? We were in Cachillas up there, that little mountain school where there were people from every country in Central and South America up there. I'm not sure even how they got there, but they were there. And we were going through certain areas one time, and we ended up crossing over this uh, creek, small river, call it what you will. Remember that rope bridge? And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a, you know, a, a rope bridge walking expert. And you're thinking, well, it's a rope bridge, Trent. Well, it ain't a rope bridge built by an engineer at one of these amusement parks. There's a rope bridge built by these farmers down there in Honduras. I don't know if they can build a rope bridge uh, uh, adequate enough to, to hold my uh, body above that water. So I'm, I'm finding my footing. And, and I'm stepping out there, and I got my hands on both sides of that rope. And you're th- you ain't running across a rope bridge. I stepped out, and that thing started swinging this way. It started, I tell you, I feel like it's going to take me 30 minutes to cross the rope bridge. And here is Peter, and he's stepping out of the boat. Now listen, you've never seen anybody walk on water. Now here's Jesus, he's a, and you're like, well, has the water changed? Isn't that a question? Maybe he's changed the water. No, it still feels wet. It, you can imagine that, right? And now you got the first foot out there. Then you take a second step. And now you're standing on water. <laughs> in that moment, in that moment, the other cats in the boat, you know they're over there by the edge of that boat like, you know, wouldn't you, if you saw this, wouldn't you be like that, Mike? Wouldn't you be looking, Mike? Then you look, look at him, look, look at Jesus. That's what you'd be doing in that moment. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, came towards Jesus. And when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. The scripture says, when he walked on the water, he came towards Jesus. The Greek word for towards is approach. You know what that means? It denotes a local proximity or a general proximity. Hence the beginning of the end. When we're in storms, and we're dealing with issues in our life, we can't, do, we, we can't be about pros. We can't be general, local. Man, we've got to be connected. We've got to be specific. Our focus has got to be locked. We can't be in a general area, a local area, trying. I'll walk towards Jesus. Well, where's Je- well he's over there somewhere. I'm, I'm walking in that direction. Because walking towards pros, a general proximity, will get you off course. And in a storm, there is no time to be off course. In a storm, in the winds, in the crisis, is when we need to be really focused. Listen, we were at a ride in uh, Magic Kingdom. It was called, uh, what was the river? Jungle, Jungle... Jungle Cruise, the most death-defying ride I've ever seen. Not even close. Having read Jungle Cruise, 
being the good grandfather, I decided to set the second time out. And so I'm standing at the, the gate where they actually enter in and they exit. And I'm, I'm standing there. We're talking about pros. We're talking about general proximity. We're talking about local proximity. And I'm standing there, and, and all these people are getting off these boats. And this lady walks up through there. She's got a baby. She's got a little boy. And she's got a tall husband, athletic-looking guy. I'm a people watcher. Anybody? We got people watchers here? Anybody? Okay. Okay. All right, there's a few of us, a few weirdos in here. Okay, I'm a people watcher, so I'm watching them, right? And, and, and so the, they walk up there. The mother's got the, the two kids, the one little boy, probably seven, maybe seven, and the little baby. The husband turns around and says, uh, where's Jesse? And I'm standing right there. I'm standing right there. I can, I can hear the whole conversation. Where's Jesse? She said, well, he was right here, right close to us coming around. Pros. He was general in proximity, local in proximity. He was right around here, four and a half years old. Mother cried out, Jesse! Father cried out, Jesse! They're looking around right there. I'm getting caught in this vortex right here in this moment of panic. I can feel it, Jay. I'm a father. I'm a grandfather. I can feel all this. And, I'm, and all of a sudden, in me, I'm going, Jesse! I mean, I feel like that. I would have yelled had I not wouldn't, wouldn't have scared the parents. I mean, everything in me was going to go, Jesse! Je-. And so I begin to see the panic set in. And I'm watching this thing unfold. The father says, I'm going to go this direction, you go this direction. At this point, I had no idea that Jesse's only four and a half years old. I'm looking for an assignment. I'm like, which way do I go? That's how I'm feeling. I'm, if you're a parent, you know this. And I'm watching the daddy shoots down that way. I'm, I'm watching the mom, she shoots down that way. And then all of a sudden, they, co- they converge right there, basically at that same spot. Th- neither one of them can find the little boy. I'm telling you, there's 30,000 people here. You know what I'm talking about? 30,000 people there. That place is packed. And all of a sudden, he said, I'm going to go look. And he goes further. I see the mother go over and tell one of the workers there, We're, we, we got a little boy. And at this moment, she's out of, and, and listen, I'm, I'm, I'm eavesdropping. I'm trying to hear this. I need information. I'm like, what, what is She explains to the woman, she explains to another lady, and then all of a sudden they start to kind of disperse. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, that's just what I'm doing. I'm like, man, where's this little kid at? A few minutes pass, I tell uh, the other, I said, I, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to kind of watch what's falling out here. So I end up going over to, First, uh, one of the workers said, hey, hey, Joe, y'all find the little boy? I said, no. So, no we've, we've reported them. We got people looking. I said, okay. A few minutes passed. Mom's still sitting there. She's staying in a, in a central location, not far from the place that he's gone missing, understandably so. Whereas the, the dad's on, on hot pursuit, looking, search party, search and rescue. So I just go up to mom and said, ma'am, I said, I don't want to encroach in, into this sensitive situation, but I was standing there when you guys came out. My wife said that she had seen you all coming off as they were going on. I said, uh, your little boy, Jesse, I heard you. I said, how old is he? This is where I find out. He's, he's four and a half. I said, what does he look like? She said, he's wearing a black Nike hat. He's got blonde hair. A gray shirt with a little centurion on it. And the little brother, the older brother said, said it looks just like this one. It's a different color. I said, okay. 
I said, I'm just going to walk around. So I just start walking around. And I'm laser focused. I'm laser focused. Listen, if you don't have a black hat, blonde hair, gray shirt with a centurion on the front of it, man, you're just gone. You're just, you just out of my vision. I mean, I'm looking. I mean, I, I feel like RoboCop. I mean, I'm dialed in. I'm locked in. I'm looking for a certain night. I mean, a Steve Austin, you know, $6 million man kind of thing. I have that going on. I mean, I'm looking. And I, I walk all the way around, and I can't find anything. But I have decided... In that moment that I was going to be focused on the three or four things that I knew, the blonde hair, the black hat, the gray shirt, the centurion, I knew that four and a half years old. My eyes didn't get up here. My eyes got down here. I'm looking for a four and a half year old. And I circle back around. And the mother's still there, so I can just keep looking. I, I keep going. And I'm looking. And I inquire of one of have y'all found Jesse? And at this point, I feel like, I know Jesse. Have you found, no, we haven't, but the word's out, the word's out. I circle back around, I come in, and the mom's gone. And then I see the father, and he's got a stroller, and he's going up through there. Warp speed. Then I see one of the workers. I said, Anything on Jesse? She said, yeah. They found him. He's at the children's center. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. I'm not kidding you, Trevor. I'm like, That's what I, felt. I, felt. I did right there in the middle of Magic Kingdom. I just wanted to say. I just wanted to bless the Lord. I did. I could only imagine had that been Ivy. Something like that happened, the, the fear that would assault your heart and your mind. But what had happened was there's some pros happening there, that situation. The little kid was just in the vicinity. And the vicinity wasn't good enough to stay intact to the parents, to stay safe. And walking towards the pros, the vicinity, the general, isn't good enough for you and I. We need to be locked in. And as much as we can be, Carl, locked in on Jesus. And that's the direction we need to be going in as much as we possibly can. Not just general in nature, but specific. Then the scripture says this, and we're about to close. When he saw the wind, blepo is the Greek, and that word is typically, when it says saw, is typically used in a more positive connotation. Uh, it's usually used uh, in relations to discernment. Because practically what it, what it means in all practicality is seeing something physical with a spiritual application, blepo. Meaning being able to discern one thing, process it through the physical, and then process it through your spirit, through the word, and discern that. But in this situation, it worked just the opposite. He saw it in the physical. And instead of letting the spirit dictate the physical, he let the physical dictate the spirit. Right? You got that? 
tracking? Guilty? Have you ever been there? When the things you've seen, you let overwhelm you in your spirit, your confidence, your faith. When he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Let me say this to you guys. If you're in this storm, Peter actually models something here that I think is so important. What you see in some of these very, very uh, uh, popular, let me say popular, paintings, and when I, when I say this, you, you'll know what I'm talking about. Have you ever seen the painting, the image, where you're looking through water and you see a blurry Jesus reaching through the water? Have Y'all know the picture I'm talking about? Where you can make out Jesus, he's somewhat distorted because you're looking through this prism of water and his hands reaching down. And what that is doing is that that is depicting what we're seeing here. But that is completely and utterly inaccurate based on the scripture. Because Peter does something that you and I have to learn to do when you're in the storm. And that's crying out before you get too deep. And what the scripture says right there was that he was beginning to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. Don't wait until you're knee deep, waist deep, chest deep, underwater to cry out. So many of us wait until we're on the backside of a complete and utter failure of faith in a crisis moment before we cry out to God. Wouldn't it be so much better, Jay, that if we learned and we took it into our hearts and our spirit to cry out to God the moment we begin to sink, the moment we begin to fail, the moment we begin to feel assaulted, wouldn't it be best if in that moment we cried out? You guys know the story. I've told this story here before. When I lived in Magnolia, we, we, we owned a little property that had a, 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 a lateral lines that ran uphill. Now, do you understand what I'm saying? Lateral lines that run uphill. Now, it don't take a civil engineer to understand what I'm talking about. We had lateral lines running uphill. So there was a manhole out there when they're fishing, and they had a sub pump in this manhole. And I remember, I remember the man, uh, the sub pump failing. The sub pump was the only thing that pushed the, that stuff uphill, right? And I remember, uh, uh, I called a gentleman by the name of Claude Powell. God bless him. He's a good man, loves, loves Jesus, a friend of Israel. He'll let you know that too, right? right? And uh, he's, a, he's a beautiful man. And he come over there. He knew we were destitute and poor. Me and Carrie hadn't been married any time. Neither one of us, you know, I mean, uh, we wasn't rolling in it. Let me just say that. And he came over there. He could have charged me an arm like, he said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do for you, Trent. I was thinking, man, he's going to fix this for me. Praise God. He said, I'm going to tell you what to do and you're going to fix it. I was like, yeah. Way to be like Jesus, Claude. That's what, that's what I want to say. Oh, yeah, brother, I need a blessing. I don't, I don't need gritty, nasty hands. He said, I'm going to tell you what, this is what we're going to do. He said, uh, you got to get down in there. That thing doesn't start to backfill. He said, you're going to get down there and you need to take that sub pump out and this is what, what we're going to do. 
So I put on a friend of mine, his boots. I had borrowed some boots, insulated boots. Belonged to a gentleman named Pooh Hatcher who's gone on now. He passed away this year. I think I told him this. If I didn't, he knows now. But uh, he, he had some boots. They were probably knee-high, and I thought the contents of that manhole was probably knee-high, or at least less than that. And so Claude told me, we, we disconnected a few things. He said, now the only thing you can do is get down there and get it. The whole time I'm like, Lord, thank you for Claude. Pow. You know. And so what I did, I, I kind of worked my way a little bit, uh, put my foot in there, and I just jumped. I, I straight up petered that thing. You know what I'm talking about? Out of the boat. I, was, I felt my way, and then I just, I'm out there. And all of a sudden, I realized the content of the manhole was higher and deeper than my boots were high. And all of a sudden, what ended up happening, all that content poured inside those boots. And it created the vacuum. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Where you can't get those boots off. So I'm down there now, and I'm Every time I'm like, I'm in it now. What do I do, Claude? The thing's practically empty because my boots are full of it. I basically absorbed the whole content of the manhole. He told me that this is what you need to do. And I was like, the whole time I'm, I was like, go 77. No, I was like, and so, he, and so I extracted the pump, and then I crawled up out of that manhole with the content still securing my boots. And there I was sitting there. And listen, listen, you're sitting on level ground trying to get your feet out of boots that have been vacuum sealed. You know what I'm talking about, Kelly. And I begin to work them boots off trying to pop that seal. You know what I'm talking about? A little air, get a little. And when it popped, guess what comes out? And guess where it comes out? There I am, and all of it just, Claude doesn't laugh, Claude doesn't say, Claude just looks like Claude. And I'm covered with this stuff. I share that to say this. When you're sinking, when you're in crisis, don't wait. Don't wait till you knee deep, waist deep. Don't wait till you're covered in that, man. The scripture says that when he began to sing, that Peter cried out, and the scripture says, and immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Now understand, Jesus has him, but the wind's still blowing. The wind's still blowing. Jesus had told them, Take courage, do not be afraid, while the wind was blowing. He grabs him while he's sinking, but the wind's still blowing. What does that say to us in the crisis? We can be held by God regardless if the circumstances change. Give me the grip of Christ over favorable circumstances any day. Because circumstances change constantly. The grip of Christ is eternally strong. And then he says to him, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and called him, you of, of little faith. He said, why did you doubt? No, notice he doesn't say, you have no faith. I mean, he got out of the boat, right? But he says, little faith. Little faith. What does little faith look like in closing? Little faith gets us out of the boat. Little faith 
gives us a strong start. Little faith gets us going towards. But little faith doesn't finish the course. Little faith isn't enough to keep on keeping on, as the old preachers would say. That's what little faith does for you. And when you're in storms, that's not the time to realize what you possess is little faith. That's not the time. And the question that you and I have to answer today is if we're going through these storms, if we find ourselves in these storms, how would our faith be defined? Not by us. How would Jesus define your faith, Mark? How would Jesus define your faith, Josh? How would Jesus define your faith, Frankie, Aiden? How would Jesus define your faith? Because ultimately, his definition of your faith and how he defines it is the only thing that really matters. And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Hmm. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. But there were only four feet in that boat wet with the, the lake water, if you will, from walking on it. And one of them was Peter. You may have little faith. You may be in that crisis. You may be wherever and whatever's going on in your life. Wherever the strain's coming from. However that's manifesting. You may have that. A little faith. But even the little faith, even little faith generates a response from Jesus. Because Jesus rescues you and I from our little faith with the desire that our faith ultimately grow. To the extent that at the end of Peter's life, church history would say that when they went to crucify Peter, Peter said, not right side up, not like my king, but turn me upside down, invert me. I don't deserve to be crucified like Jesus. Man, something happened. From that little faith experience to that moment. And what God wants in our lives is for the same thing to happen for you and for me. And that's my prayer for you guys this morning. And that's what I'm hoping. Whatever is going on in your life, whatever that crisis is, understand that Jesus put you there. Jesus sees you. You got that? Jesus treads on the issues that overwhelm you and overwhelm me and he does respond to us even when our calls are born out of a little faith so I'm not, I'm not exactly sure what your crisis is but what we're going to do this morning we do it the first Sunday of every month we're going to take communion this morning we're going to take communion this morning and the way we do it on the outside, you guys know this. We start on the outside and we work our way down. When everyone on the outsides have, have come forward, then we start on the front rows and we work our way down to receive communion.
If you're a visitor here this morning at the Driven Church and you belong to Jesus, you have every right. As a matter of fact, I would say to you, I invite you to take communion with us this morning. If you belong to Jesus, this is for you. And so I'm going to ask Ben if you would come, Ben, and Danny. And whatever's going on in your life, whatever the issue is, whatever crisis you got going on, between you and God, you can take care of that this morning. You can pray about those things this morning. You can call out to him this morning, and I believe he'll respond to you this morning. Amen? Would you stand with me this morning? We will come, we will take the elements, we will go back to our seats, and we will take communion together. So, Father, I thank you this morning for our brothers and sisters. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for being present in the crisis moments of our life, for being near even when we perceive you at such a distance. When we can't see you, you see us. And you are the calm in the midst of all of our storms, whatever that may look like. So, Father, we have gathered here this morning, and we come now at this moment to receive the elements of communion. And, Father, we ask that you would bless them and bless us as we take them. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.